Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael and Jackie Russo. Mike, I'm so excited about today's guest. Tony Rubleski is awesome. I mean, he's a best-selling author. He's a business consultant. He's a keynote speaker. But above all, he's a darn good time. Um, what I love about this conversation is the powerful messages around employee retention, professional development, and all of those things that really go into building the brand that so few people pay attention to because they took it for granted. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going on everywhere right now. I think, you know, you'd agree, most of our clients, that's a big issue for everyone is how to how to get and how to retain. And um, we had a, a, a past podcast recently with Chris Bond, kind of the same, some of the same things, but a totally different area. Um, Chris Bond was more on the recruiting side. And um, I think Tony's more on the training side of how to train people to, you know, be better and be better employers, be better employees, how to work within a company, you know, how to um, mold and change your way of doing things in order to make people happy uh, where, they, where they're at. Well, and I think it's also about um, how your people act when you're not around. You know, when he was talking about secret shopping, that was such a light bulb moment because I think as a CEO and our clients, CEOs, they always assume and we all know the problem with that, that employees are doing certain things all the time. And so when Tony comes in and secret shops, you're going to find out really quickly if people are actually indeed following all the steps in the process that they're supposed to follow. What am I and so without further ado, joining us today, Tony Rubleski. Tony, welcome to the podcast, man. We're so glad to have you here. Well, I appreciate both of you. Thank you for the invite. We're going to have a good time. How's that? We are looking forward to it. So I think that um, we have a lot of different ground to cover. And my temptation is to always go chronological, you know, tell us about the day of your birth and then work us all the way through to today. Michael likes to just jump right into the big, most important stuff. So I'm going to let his way be the way today. So why don't you start by talking about your book, Positive Disruption, and tell us all about it. Well, uh, again, a pleasure here. Real quick is my whole premise is that the world is addicted to negativity. And again, from a motivational, inspirational speaker, however you define me, um, that's kind of a strong way to start an interview. But here's my, my premise and my theory. Most media is negative. It's designed for shock value. If it bleeds, it leads. There's the old adage, advertising you pay for, publicity you pray for. But to me, both of them are extremely important. You guys own an ad agency. I did some research on you. You do great work. People see the value. You get their brands out there. I'm a guy that's big into branding too. And this new book is about positivity during and coming out of a pandemic. So I was the guy with the new book volume two that just released two years ago, going on television and podcasts, talking about positive disruption during the height of the pandemic. Yikes. I swear you guys, some people looked at me or on the phone interviews or zoom, like you're an idiot. Like, don't you see what the world's going through? I'm like, I'm fully aware of it. However, for the most part, humans are designed to be learning creatures that we love to engage. We all have goals. Some are very vocal about it. Some are private. Some just get things done and people go, how'd they do it? Well, they're very motivated or inspired. So I lay out the case in the new book, Positive Disruption Volume 2, that the world needs to also sometimes call a timeout and personally ourselves step back and sit down and meditate. And I use a quote and a question to prompt them. So it may be considered a little stoicism there, 
where you say, I'm going to do some self-reflection, do some meditation. But I love the power of the old school pen and paper, you guys. And again, you work at a big agency. You have great, great ideas. You work with software and, and design programs like my team does. There's something about pen and paper in a quiet five or 10 minutes. Many people use the book over a cup of coffee or a tea that gets people to really get these great ideas. Uh, that intuition or that creative genius, I call it, is from self-reflection. So I'm the oddball that advocates positivity and shutting things down and getting very quiet because it's hard to do because we're so addicted to our digital, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I'm loving this. This is going to be a therapy session for me. I have um, <laughs> yeah, Jack, see Jackie laughing right now because everything you're saying is like, I'm, I'm kind of the polar opposite, but I like want to be that, you know, but I have my uh, my Sharpie here and this is how I write. That's I, good. I, I cannot create anything. I cannot write good copy unless I'm sitting on a, a legal pad with my Sharpie. I just can't. It doesn't work on a computer for me. Uh, and eventually I'll get there. But I have to I have to write it out. And the problem is I can't read my handwriting after I'm done. But generally, that's that's the way it gets out of my head, you know. Yep. But I, I do love that philosophy, and we talk a lot about that with uh, coming out of the pandemic. It's obviously something we still all talk about. And 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 you're right. It was it was there was a time where Jackie had to like turn my teeth. She's like, look, stop getting on the internet because it was just it was bringing me down. It was it was crushing me. I mean, I mean, every news article it was like, and now even now, I mean. That stuff that's on the top 10 of your Yahoo newsfeed or whatever you're reading is just not good, man. It, it is yeah. a killer. Well, I think it's um, it's very addictive. I mean, negativity sells. I mean, I, I'm not going to dispute the reality of the situation. I'm much more of a pragmatic, motivational guy. And I think it's having turned 50 this year, chronologically, with my birthday, I look back and go, wow, life throws a lot of challenges at you. And it's interesting when people see me do a speaking session or training live or Zoom or like an interview like this, they go, man, you're very upbeat, but you're also kind of brutally honest at the same time. Well, I had the gift of 50 years called wisdom. And there's many challenges that we all confront in our lives. And it's always fun when you meet people in their 20s. They're usually more idealistic. Life hasn't knocked them down quite hard enough. <laughs> and hopefully by the time they're 35 or 40, they don't give up because life is a series of challenges that we're overcoming. And I'm a big believer, as is advertised, that the mindset, the positivity is a software that I strongly argue we should program every day to help override the best we can the negativity. You can't get away from it. I mean, you like me deal with CEOs, leaders of companies. They expect us to know our craft. And also the headaches and the challenges are usually fear-based. So I come in there and try not to overwhelm the C-box, the executives and their managers with too much positivity. Because they're like, wait a minute, this guy's not living in the real world. No, no. I've had setbacks. I've run companies. I've sold companies. But I look at and say, you know what? If the attitude for the most part every day is forward motion, goal-centric, there's a good attitude. It's fun. People are going to want to work there. And more importantly, they're going to want to stay there. So the mindset to me, especially coming out of where we're at the last two years, is even more important. Because let's face it, there is COVID fatigue, I believe. People are still kind of walking around like, what just happened here? There's a, a lot of change in the employee-employee contract, I call it, with my clients, where the side hustle sold up and down on social media. And I just did a, a keynote presentation last week for a group here in Michigan. And I said, how many of you have a side hustle? Almost all the hands went up. And some of the employers in the room, the sponsors were looking at me like, uh, let's be honest here. Whether you know it or not, a lot of your employees have a side income. They're entrepreneurs at night. And everyone started laughing. So there is a lot of opportunity, as we all know. And a lot of the best employers I see that can actually retain, have a higher chance, 
There's usually a fun work environment. There's training. And if you have those two in play, there's usually positivity there. You can't have one without the other. So I'm just, I'm looking at this as I go into 23 as we record this and saying, hey, I do a lot of keynotes now for groups and flying around in January, especially groups saying we need you in here more than ever because all the confusion with politics, the geopolitical, Russia, Ukraine, we could go on and on about all the world's problems. And it has a lot of employers saying, how do we keep people inspired? throughout the week to keep moving forward when they're hearing all this confusion. And again, the fatigue of COVID, I still think a lot of employers aren't really catching it, you guys. They're they're just kind of like, well, we hope things will go back to normal. Well, the last couple of years, 2020 and 21 and now 22, were extremely strange. I don't want to be a part of another historical event, hopefully in my lifetime or my children's lifetime. So again, A lot of what I'm going to share, and I've been doing this for a few years now, is in the reminding business. This is common sense that we get so busy, we forget to stop, call a timeout, and we plug our phones in every day. Why don't we plug our soul in every day? Why don't you plug in your own mindset and your own ideas each day, deliberately by structure, by habit, hopefully, where you can pull into that energy? Because we're always running and running and running. It's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be busy. I'm the leader of the company. But some of the best leaders I know are also very good at unplugging and disappearing to come up with their best ideas. So I know I threw a lot out there, but you get it. You have an agency. I look at your staff here online, all these great people that you lead, and they're looking to you to be the leaders. And also, if they like you, you're probably positive for the most part, unless there's a hard deadline. Then all the rules are off. So It's funny, though, because they, they, um, you know, and... Jackie probably agree in the past year, really, um, we do a lot of uh, assessments. We'll go in and we do this razor branding assessment where we kind of look look under the hood and we figure out, you know, what what, what they're about, their culture, you know, in, in order to kind of message them out to the public and to their consumers and target audiences. But not, more and more, we're dealing with internal issues. We're dealing with employees. We're dealing with needs that they can't find the right people and the people they have they don't really like or they they need new ones or they're just trying to trying to fill the coffers you know and everybody every industry across the country are having the same problems and things that you're talking about right now um and it's a struggle it's real i mean it's you know obviously it's in the news too but 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 we're dealing with a lot of things that i don't think anybody has really the answer to and it sounds like you kind of have um your finger on it a little bit on the pulse of it well um I think that the universal challenge, what I often, my best meetings, I just sit back and ask a couple of questions and I listen. And many times the executives, the senior management will just, they'll like dump on me, almost like you said, a therapist. I just grab a notepad and pen and I just listen very carefully for sometimes an hour or two. And I say, All right, based on what I'm hearing, here's a few things that I know I can help you with. Some things I can't can't solve all this because I don't have the magical um, inspiring wand to, to solve all the HR problems. And right now, you guys may have seen this with some of your clients, it seems like HR is running the place the last few years. A lot of the marketing and advertising is getting secondary positioning, which troubles me because HR is having so many darn problems retaining and attracting that more and more budgets are being diverted to HR. Onboarding, offboarding, if some companies are doing training to different levels, a lot of the marketing and advertising functions getting kind of pushed to the wayside. Now, I'll make a prediction here at your end. I think you're going to see more shift into the marketing and advertising for companies that are smart, because if we go into this recession, like they're saying and indicating here, um, the best marketers, advertisers are going to win you guys. 
Now, you need good people to pull this up. So you can't put the old court card in front of the horse. But a lot of companies are going to cut back on what? Their advertising, their marketing. I scratch my head and go, really? Now, if you can ride it out as a big established brand, that's okay. But a lot of small and mid-sized companies right now, here's the opportunity. If they can shift some of those dollars into their marketing campaigns finally, they can actually not only maintain but grow a little bit. We know this, okay? I'm a former ad guy. You guys have a full-time agency with a team. And the tendency what will be sold is we're cutting back. We're going to be super, super conservative. I'm in Michigan. The area that I call home is uber, uber conservative. Not just politically, but business. There's a lot of entrepreneurs here, but there's also some established companies. And I'm hearing more and more companies out that I get referred to initially say, well, we're just going to wait. We're going to maybe cut back a little bit. I'm like, good luck. I don't say it to them negative. They have their own business, their own ways. The companies I'm bringing on, the ones I'm retaining, are actually doing more marketing, not just because they bring me in. But they're looking ahead to say, this is where we can actually make some gains because we're not just going to sit, sit, sit and wait. And it's frustrating. The biggest challenge I have with what I do is the CFO will look at me and go, you charge how much? Like, because it's a soft skill, you guys. And they go, well, we can't verify and prove it. I said, well, how much does a new employee cost you to onboard? And they usually know the number. Sometimes they disclose it. Sometimes they don't. How much is it to exit that interview and get the, all the HR and the paperwork? That's thousands and thousands of dollars. I say, look, if we can keep some of your key employees here, maybe six months, two years longer, does that save you money? Oh, yeah. What if we can have them organically referring people they know in their networks to come work for you? How much does that save you in marketing and advertising? And many times they go, yeah, we don't see the multiplier effect of not only retaining but by retaining the best employees, they'll talk about us and they'll bring people to us that aren't in the recruiting windows. We don't have to pay recruiting firms constantly. Nothing wrong with that, but they're looking to shift dollars and save money. So by the time we get done laying that out, they usually go, ah, oh, we see that it's really a good value to pay. They still don't like sometimes my training contracts, but when we get everyone involved in the company, my biggest client has 500 employees. And I train the entire company from the brand new machine operator to all the owners. They go through the trainings. And what I have to have is, is people on board from the top that buy into it. Otherwise, if they say, yeah, just do a one-time training for us. I'm like, that's a rah-rah session, you guys. They're going to see right through that. What are you doing for reinforcement training throughout the next six months to a year? That to me is where you see the real gain. They can't, it's the Chinese buffet syndrome. Eat Chinese, three hours later, you're hungry. So I'm saying, look, you have to have ongoing training for them to believe it. So I know we've gone deeper down the HR hall than probably maybe some of your other guests, but I'm dealing more with HR teams, again, going back to my point, that are running the show right now. And they're just, because they can't keep people. It's like whack-a-mole. They fill a hole there, they fill a position, then three more quit. You know, they get on board 10. They hope that those 10 will stick around for a few months. And to me, I'm saying, if you don't invest in the mindset, you give them a path of opportunity, ascension and growth, it may be just a filler job for most people. And with the side hustle being sold so prevalent for the under 30 crowd, you have the strange elephant in the room that big corporations aren't talking about. Half their employees, if not more, are moonlighting doing a side hustle. And you've got big companies from Amazon to all the ones down the line talking about create your own work schedule. That confuses and also competes against a lot of mid and, mid and uh, small size companies because employee prospects walk and go, well, I want to work just two days a week. 
and I want to have you pay for all my lunches and I just want to be able to commute when I want and just do teams. Well, where are they hearing that? They're hearing that from all the Silicon Valley companies that used to have that model. You can create your own hours, work when you want. And it's a tricky balance that as the world's opening again, a lot of employers are going, how do we get them back in the office? How do we have some semblance of structure when we've had so much fluidity? They're hearing from all the big companies that you can create your own work schedule. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because it's just, there's a lot of rapid change in the economy right now. And your midsize and small companies just scratch their head going, how do we keep up with all this? I, I think you were probably eavesdropping on our meeting we had about an hour ago. I mean, that's <laughs> something that is constantly on our on our, um, on our on our thoughts, you know, and in our process. Jackie probably knows a little more about that than I do. She kind of runs runs that, that side. Well, when we when we started the company in 2001, um, <laughs> we wanted to have more free time which I think is ridiculous that any entrepreneur that looks at an eight to five schedule and says, oh, I'm going to start my own business. So instead of working eight to five, I can actually work 24 hours a day. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going from eight to five to, you know, 24, seven, 365, but whatever. Um, and so we knew that we needed to have flexibility in our schedules. Uh, at the time, we had a toddler, a newborn, and had thoughts of two more. And so you know, it, we wanted to be able to go to school activities and be involved in our kids' lives and be home for dinner at five. And so as the um, owners of the company, we knew that meant that after dinner, we'd be back at work. I mean, from yeah. the house, but, you know, we knew that there were still more things that had to be done. And so as we've grown and expanded in the past 22 years, we've um, brought in people who we think of as adults, meaning mm -hmm. they're mature, they're responsible. It's not about age. It's about them being able to manage themselves and manage their time. And so because for the most part, we've done that pretty well, we have a team of people who have that same flexibility. You want to work from home today, work from home. You want to work from California, then it's WFC instead of WFH. Um, you're out of the office. You're not working. You're not taking calls. You're not responding to emails. You are off your OOO. And so as long as you can still get your work done, we don't really care where you do it from or what well, time of day you do it. I commend you both on two things. Number one, congrats on 22 years. Um, I've been out on my own for 18 years next month. And it's like some years you're working constantly. It's the myth like, oh, you're always on vacation. You're playing golf. You're traveling here. You're always thinking about it. Right. Even like in the office. But the second thing I congratulate you on is you were doing a lot of work from home, work remote long before the, the pandemic. Yes. It was interesting. I was using Zoom and StreamYard a little bit before the pandemic. When it hit, I'm like, oh my gosh, I already know how to use Zoom because I've had some meetings. I work with creative folks, you know, websites and programmers that were already using the tech. But I think a lot of companies, as they continue to want to grow, it's that proverbial battle of how do we find some equilibrium here? Because you really can't radically shift over and say, y'all need to be in the office now because then you're going to see people either quitting or getting ready to quit. Right. If you give them too much freedom, then you lose some of that camaraderie that is um, necessary, I believe. I mean, my partner, Linda, she works three days a, a week now in the office and two days at home. And you can tell from what she says to me, she loves working at home, but they're starting to maybe want to shift into next year where they add on, maybe come in four days. But they're doing it gradually, guys. They're not saying like immediately you need to come all back in because there would be massive resistance in the rank and file. Now, certain industries... You have to be there, okay? My other big client does manufacturing. So they have to physically be there to get things done. 
So they're the exception to the rule, but a lot of knowledge-based workers, it's going to be that continuing joggling. And I think it's the culture and the leader, he or she, or the team is going to have to say, here's clearly why we're, we're shifting again. There's going to be a lot of educating um, to the workforce. They don't think, what are we doing now? And then continuing to reinforce why. And the good communication to me is critical. A lot of my best clients that I've worked with and brought on, I mentioned a few minutes ago, is just by asking simple questions and listening. Most of the training I do in-house for companies, I survey people from across different points within the organization. And I ask the same question and I've, I pull data and then they go, wow, you're actually listening to me. <laughs> so a lot of the training for 23 that corporations are having me come in is to say, how do we get our employees to feel like we're listening to them? And how do we encourage them to give more ideas to us to solve problems? So instead of complaining about something constantly, bring us three or four potential solutions or ideas, then bring up the issue. And that's a huge shift in thinking of trust, of confidence to feel like your ideas matter. And for employees that submit ideas to gently say, hey, that idea didn't work, but we want you to keep giving us ideas. So to me, it's um, a new type of workforce because there's so many options. And what most people also miss is the demographic shift, all the boomers that are retiring. So you've got a population issue and a retirement issue and all these options. So it's not, as a, to me, just a one-size-fits-all solution. And I always say you have to continue, whether I'm brought in to train or someone else in ministry, you've got to have ongoing training. The top companies train no matter what. And again, the danger I see going to 23 is they're going to trim back so far on the training they're going to be like, we can't keep people. It's getting worse. What are you doing to give them incentive to stick around? If there's no goal or no motivation, or it's just kind of like, here's your laptop, figure it out after two weeks. People are like, I'm out. I'm completely out of here. Reminds me, um, you mentioned Chris Bond earlier. We had a really great talk with him and you probably love him. Yeah, Y'all are very similar in a lot of things you're talking about. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me, and I've said it a couple of times in, in different meetings, he and Jackie, maybe you remember it better than I do. Uh, I'm going to butcher it, but he says something along the lines of you have to constantly rehire your, your team. You have to constantly recruit them, constantly recruit them. You're always recruiting them, even though they've been there for a couple of years. You have to go back and recruit them every year and incentivize them and get them excited again and get, bring them back to life with it. And I thought that was really poignant. You know, like, I mean, we take things for granted sometimes and we just kind of coast with them. And then you have to kind of look. We do that all the time. We're so busy in the grind of it all that I have to look around and go, you know, this person I haven't talked to in a while, have we touched with them? Have we, have we got with them, found out what's going on with their lives and, and their work life and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, he's it's right. about that recruiting. Sorry to interrupt, but um, it, yeah. it's about, you know, you think about um, sports athletes and, and coaches who recruit college athletes. You don't get to recruit them once. Transfer portal says you've got to keep recruiting them to stay every year. I think we got into this um, theory that, we pay our people enough and um, we've hired them. And so they're not going to go anywhere 40 years gold watch. That's not reality. We have to constantly recruit. And I think, and I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you have to make sure you're giving them what they need. It's not about the paycheck for everybody. For some yeah. people, it's the freedom. For some people, it's the collaboration and connection. For some, it's it's feeling appreciated. So whatever their thing is, you have to know it and give it to them. Well, I agree. I, I see it. Um, it's ironic, the taping of this this morning, key person on my team, uh, we had our year in and we were just, you know, talking about what do we learn this year? Where are we going to grow next year? And at the end of the meeting, compensation came by. I said, what do you think? And, and I said, not a problem. Done. 
It's basically she asked for a raise. I'm like, done. I pay her really, really well to be a part of the team. But here's the deal. I'd rather pay her really, really well than three people at maybe the standard rate. And she knows that. And it's not a manipulative thing. It's just you do such great work. I want you to be so well compensated. And for us to have fun going into 2023, you don't even consider leaving. But the thing is this, with so much options and distraction and recruiters out there and LinkedIn, temptation lurks at every corner. And you bring up the portal. I mean, right now in the news, Deion Sanders is making all the noise in college football. He went from Jackson State over to Colorado. Right. And seeing all these players starting to think differently. And I think it comes down to, and I'm going to sound selfish here, mindset. The positive leader, those coaches, they're going to draw people. They're not negative. People love their energy. Positive right. energy draws people. Some people it does scare off. I, I know there's some people like, man, you're always positive. You know, you're just too much. Okay, that's fine. And there are certain folks in companies that I work with that are kind of scared of me at first. Like you're kind of upbeat. You're, you haven't been around here. That's the way we've always done it. I go, nice. okay, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to take your job. I'm here to be an ally, a partner with you. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but as long as we're working together, I want you to shine. That's usually what I tell them. Like, okay, he's not the enemy. Because right. in a lot of companies, there's the hierarchy and there's the pecking order of promotions and advancement and jealousy. That's human nature. And I said, look, I want you to shine. I'm not here to take your job. And many times I want the VP, whoever the CEO is that brings me in, for them to look good. And they go, well, I kind of came up with the idea. I'm sit there and smirk and I'm like, yeah, it was your idea. I kind of led you into the idea, but I want you to take the glory for it because you got me in here to make some positive change. Right. So thank you for that point. I, I, I look at that, Jack, and go, yeah, college sports, though. They're going to have to continue to not get comfortable, but more important, they're going to keep selling why they're different. Uh, that's advertising and marketing, my friends. That's that's yeah. the wheelhouse we all play in. And don't be fooled. I'm the positive, the motivational hope dealer. But people say to me that know me well, you're a really good marketer. Yeah, I have to constantly <laughs> marketing. I get lots of referrals. I get speaking opportunities. But I hear no a lot more than I do yes, especially right. from speaking. Well, we went with the president. We went with the celebrity. Um, you're one of like 50 people we're considering for the keynote. And I get the runner-up phone call a lot or the email usually. Hey, we decided to go in another direction or, hey, you didn't get it this year, but follow up. And I have to always be thinking, not comfort, but what is the next opportunity that I have to be pursuing? Doesn't mean I neglect the clients I have, but I've seen work where I've gotten testimonials. They love it. The employees love it. I get done with the year of training. They go, we're going to go in another direction. Thanks. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's happened there? Right. Well, for that assigned project and many times that glowing testimonial client a year or two later will forget about you or maybe the org chart changes and the vp that liked you someone jumped above him or her and they don't hire you again and you can't take it personal you always have to be thinking what other companies can i be referred to or introduced to that the next opportunity to serve is ready i have a few clients that have been with me for 18 years some use me every three or four years. Hey, Tony, get back in here. You got a new book, you got a new training. We need you to come tune up. Very few will use me more than a year or two. That, that they, they go maybe a couple of years and they go, okay, we've got it. We brought it in-house. We've got train the trainer going. Your systems work. Next. So I look at the constant marketing, especially next year. The best marketers, I don't say this in a negative way, are going to be the ones that will just get ahead because they're not waiting. Right. And um, it's very easy when people are overwhelmed or afraid just to kind of sit. 
And I know established companies can get away with that, but us small mid-sized companies, many of your listeners, you've got to always be proactive. What if your big account or two says, hey, we're having budget cuts next year? Oh, right. no. You've always got to be backfilling, same as a college coach. Yeah. So thank you for that. No, you know, it's it's like a marriage. And so obviously being married to my business partner, marriage plays a big role into how I think about things. But it's not like you can woo and court and and wine and dine during the courtship, get married, and then it's like, done. <laughs> I mean, is that what we're doing to our employees? You're hired, so I've done my part. No, we have to continue to woo and court. And some people think it's just about throwing money at them. And I don't think it's that at all. I think it's a balance. We have to be respectful of pay and making sure that people are paid what they're worth because it's going to cost a lot more to start over with somebody else. At mm -hmm. the same time, you can't blow the budget and, and over exceed your ability in payroll. But how else are you appreciating them, nurturing them? We were uh, talking to a client. It's been about a year now. And I should say former client, we finished the project for them and didn't have another one because of this philosophy. Um, we were talking about their people. And in one conversation, they said their people were the greatest asset. And I was like, OK, but, you know, everybody in your industry says the same thing. Like everybody yep. talks about their people. And the second conversation, I said, OK, these are the things that your people are saying they want for professional development. And he said, and I quote, why would we spend money? developing them when they could leave and take that knowledge to somewhere else. And I wow. just, I stared at him and I was like, so you'd rather not have investing in your employees and make your employees better. Like you're, you're, you're thinking by lessening them, you're going to keep them here. Wow. That mindset though is not rare. Unfortunately it's prevalent. No. Let me build off that, and and that's not uncommon because uh, this is an adult podcast. Okay, so oh, it we'll, is. You can drop the f bomb. I do it all the time. There yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of HR teams that sabotage the CEO. Yes, they they'll they'll bitch about the CEO and the CEO here. She will bring me in, and they'll tell me we just can't quite figure it out. Then I hit resistance internally yes. because they they greenlight me to come in, and many times I'm dealing with internal politics, the pissing matches. And I just go, wow, I, I know I'm an outsider. I can you know, leave at night, but I just sit there and go, sometimes a CEO asks me, Tony, what, what are you hearing? And those are tough conversations because I never call anybody out by name and get somebody right. fired. But right. I have to almost be Switzerland unless they really push. And I say, well, have you thought about maybe giving some additional resources to your HR team? They're overwhelmed right now. Maybe you hire another person or two on to assist because there's so many jobs you're trying to fill and they're doing exit interviews and there's, issues with in-house counsel because there's a lawsuit over harassment. So I look at it and go, wow, there's so much stressors going on. There's, there's these, a lot of companies are trying to just get by. And this is contrary and advice that I'm going to share with your audience. Again, if you want really, really good people um, and you can't find them, you may have to pay your star players even more, much, much more. I know that that sounds like what I just said this happened this morning with my team. But I'm like, absolutely. I want you to be paid so well that you go, wow, I'm, I don't want to leave. I like what I'm doing, but I'm paid very, very well. Like I said, versus me hiring three people to do that role, I'd rather have one that's really well paid and is gets me almost like an owner type of mentality. But the HR folks, a lot of them are, are just burned out. And it's the dirty little secret. And I speak for SHRM chapters, you guys. Some of the local chapters, Society of Human Resource Managers, I give a lot of the talk on the new book about how do you positively disrupt your own mindset because you guys are constantly burning up. 
right. how do each day do you find uh, the, the gumption to keep battling so you don't quit? And a lot of HR teams have a lot of power. It, yes. It's that strange thing that the pendulum, I believe, will start to swing back where more of the marketing will take over in sales departments because they're going to have to sustain revenue. You can't keep cutting, cutting, cutting always to profit. You've got to be fiscally responsible. I get it. I have a CPA too. But at some point, you got to be the top line with new growth. And it's going to come back to your marketing and sales department. So good stuff here. I, I, I don't care about talking about my book that much. And it's like, these are people things because businesses are run by people. Right. And if people get along well, then the enterprise does better and the customers benefit. Another correlation I see is if a company's turn over a lot of employees, they're turning infinitely more customers. It's a strange correlation. If they, they can't keep their best people, the customers are getting completely shortchanged at the end of the line. Correct. So higher the retention, usually the higher the customer satisfaction experience. Yep. So it's very much wise to go back to your point, Jackie, about the, the comment is why would you not invest in your key people? Right. And they can go on their phone, literally they're probably doing on their lunch break or their coffee break, looking for another place to work. Right. Or they got a recruiter in their inbox. The borders have been blown away 20 years ago. In the last 10, especially with social media and LinkedIn, it's gone. So right. to be thinking that we're still in the 1980s and early 90s, uh, that's crazy. No disrespect to your client, just that type of uh, potential leadership, that's not positive at all. Well, Former client, because we don't work with people who think that way. Yeah, and, usually, and, and we've kind of grown up a lot over the years, too. We finally, in the past few years, we put together a list of the clients that we wanted and mm -hmm. um, the ones that worked best with us. And, um, and, and we have this little core list. And, and if, it, if it's a bad match, if they don't believe in our philosophies, it's never going to work. And, and, and we've taken on people that we, we knew. We kind of said, all right, this is going to be about six months and it's all going to blow up. And it usually does. And it's usually because they have their own mindset of certain things that they want or to accomplish. And, you know, from a branding standpoint, we, we dig real deep and we can't, we're not an HR department. We don't tell people how to run their businesses, but we point out, we hold the mirror up. We try to hold the mirror up and say, look, there's problems and, and it's going to, it's going to affect your end goal. You know, the, um, eventually people are going to sense something's wrong and I don't know how they sense it, but they do. If, if there's an unhappy team, if there's somebody all the way down that's answering the phone, somebody's going to do something and it's just going to come off and you're going to lose customers somewhere. And so mm -hmm. you have to get your house in order. You have to make sure everybody's happy. You have to make sure you have a, um, a semblance of some kind of culture that that is positive and reinforcing. And I'm saying all this and I am not Mr. Positive. I have <laughs> my other side of the coin is over there, but I do believe in it. I do understand. Michael, we still love you, man. I appreciate it. We like <laughs> to think of him as the break and I'm the gas. And so together we make the car go all of one or all of another is bad. So you need the blend. Yeah. I try to keep so, someone off a cliff, but. I think the other thing too is pre pre COVID is I used to have um, customer service training and I would offer that in some clients would I'd go undercover once or twice a year. I do mystery shopping for a client. Sure. And in the mystery shopping, what I found, they're like, Oh my gosh. And it wasn't ever again, get anybody fired. I'm like, they're not asking how did I hear about you? Hey, here's our latest promotion. Hey, what's your email? I'm coming with cash. I mystery shop one, for example, John Deere dealership here in the Midwest many years back. And I found out that none of them asked how to hear about the dealerships. Right. And this was a very successful John Deere dealership, but Deere corporate kept hammering about their customer service scores. So they wanted me to go play undercover Tony, which is very intensive work, as you might imagine, but we did it. And what we found was, is that the front end getting leads in there wasn't the problem. No one was tracking them. And a lot of the employees weren't even trained on why they should even ask, how did you hear about us? Or, hey, right. here's our latest promotion. Or, hey, 
I see that you're not in the system. You're paying with cash. Can I get an email so we can stay in touch with you? Not one of them did it. Initially, when I mystery shop, guess what we corrected? Those two to three things right there. And for me, I'm like, this is common sense. But the great marketing that, you know, John Deere and the brand they built for 100 plus years got these folks to come in. But the frontline team had no reason or care. Wasn't my job. No one told me. AK, no one trained them on the importance of asking about where their customers were coming from. It was a training issue and also an awareness issue. And I just look at that and go, wow, how many businesses, I can tell you both right now, I could not maybe even give away customer service training. I stopped doing it the last couple of years during the pandemic. People are like, we don't have time to even train on customer service. We can't even find people to answer the phone or respond. So at some point, same with marketing next year, companies and markets should hopefully stabilize and this, all right, get in here and train our teams on why excellent customer service keeps people coming back and how we can offer more value for people believe that in the product and service they sell. But I've walked away from customer service. I'm like, there's, how am I even going to dare offer that when I came and find people and keep them consistently for the most part? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that, that comes into, you know, a transactional sale versus a relational, you know, relationship type of sale where people are coming back to you because they like you. I mean, that, that's that's branding. That's emotional. That's, you know, why do I like this particular product? Because somebody was nice to me at some point, and it's really hard to get mad at a friend, you know, when you make those kind of relationships. And it could be just the simplest, littlest things that mean a lot to a lot of people, you know? Well, a big part of our branding, just to share with your audience, is having fun. Um, you know, I wear the Hope Dealer t-shirts. People give me crazy looks like, hey, I like your shirt. And a lot of our branding over the last 18 years is on mind capture, which is the battle for attention. So that's one thing I've stuck consistently is how are you going to stand out and get people's attention in nine second world? The books are another extension of that teaching, that reach. But to me, many of my mentors that worked in the ad agency, a small boutique, were like consistency, consistency. A lot of people, when I go back in my archives, they get bored with the brand. And they say, I'm kind of bored with it. And you're like, okay, you just spent all these years building up this great brand, this, this equity, and you're just bored, you're going to change it all? So I commend you both. We have 22 years now you've been at 21 coming up, you know, 22 is to just to hold the line that you build these things over years. And now with social media and the world of TikTok and social and, and Snapchat, the next generation I worry about, because they're, they're very, they're like re reactionary, like, let's change it. It's um, there's a sense of timeline is just not there. They're digital natives. They've been raised on digital in input, instantaneous dopamine, click, 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 click. What do you mean? You guys had that brand for five years, that logo for 10. Are you crazy? We should change it. Well, no. there's a reason behind this. People buy safety, security, trust, and emotion. Right. And a lot of the next wave of marketers, I just go, boy, I can see a lot of brand changeover. And there's going to be some fun things for us as, as advertising marketing pros to sit back and go, what were they thinking? <laughs> like, Seriously. Anyway, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about changing logos, and we see that all the time. We see people who have incredibly dated, horrible logos where they tried to put 19 different images in there, and there's a gradient, and it was definitely created in 1987, and they don't want to change at all. Uh, and they think we're, we're changing just for the change's sake, just to put our name on it. Then you've got the opposite of that, which are the people who, um, <laughs> 
have had it forever and it works great and it still perfectly appeals to their audience. And they're trying to talk us into changing it because it's a new marketing director and he wants to put his stamp on it. I'm like, no, there's a time and a place and there's rules. There's best practices. We don't change things just to change them. We change them when the change is necessary for evolution. So, you know. I love your honesty, you two. I already sensed it, but yeah, you sometimes will, if it's not the right fit, you almost talk yourself out of taking the job. Or your prices so high, they go, well, we can't afford you. You're thinking, okay, that's my gentle way of saying I'm not a fit for you. I just am not. That's okay. Right. Yeah, no, we have to. We've gotten much better about it. You know, I read a book um, right as we were starting the company that I still live by. You know, that whole 80-20 rule scares the heck out of me. So Mm -hmm. no one client is more than 6% of our revenue. Wow. Yeah. No, we're very even across the board. We're very careful about that. Um, We don't have any one industry. I mean, obviously, we're B2B, um, but we have some B2C clients. But B2B is where we tend uh, to spend our time. And we um, we definitely shine in that arena, but not just fintech or healthcare or um, software. We want to make sure we're balanced there, too, because during covid. We saw yep. some of our clients take a real hard hit and some lift off to the stratosphere. And that balance was important for our balance. Well, it's wise advice. Uh, I wish I had met you both two and a half years ago, <laughs> three years ago, because when everything stopped, almost all my income stopped. Right. A lot, of, a lot of it was built on training. I had some reserves and no debt, but I was like, oh boy, how long can we ride out live right. training? And I did some paid Zoom trainings, like a, like a lot of our industry pivoted there. But that's like one-tenth my margin. Yeah. So I'm like, you have to think strategic. That's why we wrote a couple books during the last couple of years. I had more time mm-hmm. off the road. I had fewer clients that I could do real in-depth training, as I mentioned in our interview, where I could really go under the hood because I wasn't flying around as much. Right. I said, what's the lesson from that? Multiple streams of income and making sure that you don't have it all in one industry. I'll give you an example. Um, banking. That is a vertical market that I've been doing a lot of training for years. I'm seeing that starting to tighten up. So guess where less attention is going to go? Banking. That, that we had that our meeting that that month on here. And for looking ahead is we're going to pull a little bit of our attention away from banking because that vertical is getting really tight. Um, code word, they're, they're cutting back. And this is going to sound maybe counterintuitive. We're going to go to credit unions. I've got a lot of great references and training in the credit union space. I call them the cousins. And they will oftentimes be more willing to bring me in to train their entire staff for repeated trainings versus a one-up. So again, no disrespect to banks. Some of them might hear this, but I have to look out as a businessman saying, what are the trend lines telling me? What are the patterns? Is that if they're tightening up and certain industries still have a need and a want and a budget, I'm going to focus obviously more time there. So we found it. We recently brought in, um, we have a a good friend of ours who actually worked with us for a little while. And she, um, she left, went back to school. She became a counselor and, Really, it was a calling. She's just really good. And now at a coach. It. She's a coach yeah. as well. Yeah. And so we brought her in for a workshop that we had for team building, which I hate. I hate. I, I last thing I want to do is go through another Covey or Covey or or yeah. fish book or whatever. I've been through them all, and I just <laughs> I, I'm not a fan. But so I go I go in begrudgingly because Jackie's a big fan of those things, and uh, she's probably got a, behind her is all those books with probably nine different titles of that. But um, anyway, she came in though, and she killed it. She was so good. And I was a believer after that. And I've actually recommended her to clients um, to, to go in and do the same thing. And what she did was she didn't come in as a coachy coach. She she really, she had a great way of connecting our team that was very unthreatening and it was very unforced. And um, we left there 
I think everybody with a really positive um, experience from it, especially me, which is hard, but um, you know, it was these little bitty soft ways to do it. It wasn't real forced and it wasn't like, I'm going to have you do this and do that. But um, we learned about each other's personalities and how to work with each other a little better, but, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it um, after that experience. And um, when it's done right, you know, when, when you come in and you, you really, I, I guess it's talent, you know, people that have talent for those things and, and they're just, they walk in and they, they feel the room and they're able to kind of get everybody out of their shells. And I think that's, that's really a positive experience. Well, Michael, kudos for bringing her in. Okay. That that's huge that you're investing in that and a leap of faith for you. Like, you know what? I'm not really into this, but I was sitting here. Um, I did a talk 10 months ago in St. Croix for the board of realtors. And it was a hybrid meeting where it was like 30 people in the room it was their first live meeting in two okay, years. Okay, hold on. So you got yeah. to go to St. Croix? Someone had to do it. Yes. I mean, the sacrifices you are willing to take to make people better. I am so impressed with your selflessness. Uh, on the Thank side you. note of that, we were uh, we went to St. Thomas. Um, the, and St. John. Last year, and which is right across from St. Croix, I believe. Yes. And yeah. it was, oh my God, it was, it's not a photograph. This isn't like it belongs on a calendar. I mean, it was just the most <laughs> gorgeous place on the planet. I, I mean, it was it, hard to come back. It was hard yeah. to come back. So we were doing this training, we get done, and it was on positive disruption. It was, again, it was our first live event in like two years since COVID. And there was someone that from Hybrid on St. Thomas that was watching via Zoom and asked a question. And I don't know if it was a he or she, but it, the question was read from the board moderator. So we have a question from St. Thomas. Hey, Tony, um, I'm super depressed. I'm having a real tough time right now. I didn't want to be on this call. I didn't think I was going to get on this training, but here I am. What, what, what advice do you have for me? And I'm in front of the room, like shell shock, like, oh my gosh. And, and they're a vet. Okay. I said, well, as I gathered my composure, I said, first off, I thank you for having the courage to tell me that. I don't know who you are. We're going to keep this anonymous. I said, um, that shows me you want to change. So you, you attended a session on positivity. Thank you again. I said, all I can recommend right now is um, I don't have all the answers is that I have a friend of mine in Las Vegas was in Iraq that had major PTSD get in touch with your local VA and their therapist and let, let the benefits you've earned as a veteran get with some of the VA people to help you on top of what you learned today. And I, I wasn't trying to dance around the question, but it was very, very talk about like being on CNN crossfire. Remember the show? Yeah, that's tough. I was like, I've never been asked that in front of a live room. My, my girlfriend, Linda was in the back room looking at me like, wow, how's he going to get out of this? Right. But it wasn't to, to, to um, be, politically correct or be full of um, just trying to make something up or make people in the room feel awkward. I just said, I don't have all the answers, but what I loved about the question, not only the raw um, authenticity of the question was it revealed to me that people are struggling out there and that they really want to improve. And sometimes they, they don't know what to do and they may get one of my books. They might go to one of my sessions, but there's deeper levels of knowledge that I don't have, but I have resources to refer them because my friend, is now engaged. He's doing great. He's doing, he got a great career. It's like he changed his life because he wanted to change, but he didn't know where to go. And I, I flash back to three and a half, four years ago where I'm like, I'll call him Mike. Mike, you need to get to the VA. And I would check up on him from a distance every few days. How you doing? I'm heading to a session, meet with my therapist. I watched him turn his life around from the lowest of low. To, uh, psychologically, I don't have PTSD, but now he's got a, a beautiful life. So Michael, back to your point, um, we need to have people of all psychological levels in a session. And if you're that sort of pragmatic, critical eye, let her know not only your referrals that, hey, 
there are people that that look at you maybe as kind of woo woo that you're kind of like, I don't get this motivation. It's not me. You might be one of her biggest um, positive kudos because you were the skeptic, Michael. And it's not that she's going to have you in every audience, but the type of impact she's having is huge because if she can turn someone that's not really into that to a believer and now referring her clients, that gives her more motivation on days where she's sitting in front of 50 people in a room with their arms crossed that don't want to listen to her. Trust right. me. It you know, um, he, to his credit, he was great. He was really complimentary to her and I think gave her really great feedback. Um, so much so that we've now uh, put together a schedule of sessions for every other month next year to keep the professional development going. You know what that gets? More cowbells. <laughs> well, Jackie, Sorry. she also offered her as like, um, if anybody wanted to have personal coaching with her, and um, which I thought was great, you know, to have one-on-one -on -one time with her and just to kind of, because we don't have an HR department here. Um, so to have somebody to talk to outside of us, you know, and, and that kind of thing and um, to help process that information. And then we had somebody come up and say, you know, oh, I really love therapy and um, I, I can't wait to, whatever. And we, we were like, no, 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 this is coaching. <laughs> not yep. therapy. Coaching. It's not therapy. We're, 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 critical, you two. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let's be clear, you know, she's not solving your life problems. This is just to help you, you know, but we're, we're, tacking, we're taking care of values and emotional intelligence and self-care and compassion. So they do toe that line a little. Stress yeah. and anxiety med management, boundaries, but they're all things that are going to help us be better, be better at work, be better with our clients, be better with each other, be better in our lives. And I mean, it all goes back to what we're saying, right? If you invest in your people, then they want to keep working there. The company can keep growing. Yeah. Um, what's been interesting is the first few books in the first 10 years of my self-employment journey with Mind Capture Group are all about constantly marketing doing referral campaigns, marketing, looking at branding, publicity with certain select clients that would let me come in and do that. The last five years, you guys, even pre-pandemic was shifting more to the mindset. Right. And I think not only the fun of the joy of that is that I'm a big believer that people don't believe that their ideas matter. They're not going to be as motivated to work with higher productivity. Um, they're not going to share ideas that can help the organization market, sell, um, get retention programs stronger if they don't believe. So the mindset, I couldn't have foreseen the last three years. Nobody could. But this is the time I, I challenge my colleagues that are in the industry to step it up, to get out there and train more, to get your knowledge out there. Some days you feel like you're the lone ranger in the world's so darn negative, the media, and especially social media, like, oh, I can't look at that today. And you still press forward. A lot of my colleagues retired from the business. Some are just like, I don't know, there's no one hiring any train anymore. I'm like, ridiculous. You just have to get over your own hangups in your head and realize that people are especially looking for inspiration right now. This is not the easy time in our industry. It's a different ballgame when money's flowing, everyone's making great income, and there's no major, major conflicts. They always have budgets for you. But the last three years has been much tougher um, for a lot of speakers and trainers because you know people are just kind of like, eh. They get very familiar being kind of familiar with the old ways of doing things. So there is work out there. I love what I do. It's fun when someone gets me. I get these all the time, emails, texts, messages. I read your book a few years ago. I met you in South Bend. I met you in Omaha. You have no idea how much you impacted me that day. It's a great joy because of all the things I have to deal with. You get it as entrepreneurs, all the no's, all the misconceptions. We have Christmas coming up. I still have people at Christmas ask me, what do you do? They have... I'm like, I'm a speaker. I write books and I teach people. What's a speaker? And I'm like, 
I don't want to trust them to Google me. They don't know that what I love to do is help people realize their potential to get their ideas back in play and realize that life is not all bad. I call it a positive disruption. We take all this negativity and get them to go, wow, I've been really like running autopilot for 10 or 15 years. Really, I'm quite negative. I should have so much more I'm grateful for. I need to write a thank you note. I need to send thank you notes or text or gratitude posts. It's getting people to realize you can combat all the negativity. Only person that can change you is yourself. I can't do it. I will tell CEOs and HR directors and middle managers of all the way to the line, don't expect me to change the entire culture. I get some sparks going. I get people starting to question in a positive direction, but no one can do that. They have to want to and believe they can change. If you give them the tools and resources and the belief structure and some goals, they'll push that direction, but it won't be just me. There'll be other people on the team, especially the leader up top that has to get on board with me. Otherwise, I'm just wasting time. Right. I think what I have a question because I know we're kind of getting ready to wrap up, but you know, we, we actually did have um, a meeting this morning and um, like where we are, it, it's hard. You have to, I think as a leader, and um, I have a hard time even putting myself in that role, but to release, to what is the word, um, surrender a lot of that, you know, like when you talk about other people's ideas and because I'm responsible for a lot of things, right? And then, but I have to go and trust other people to contribute. But if I'm shutting them down because it's my idea is the best idea, then then things don't happen. You know, things come to, because I can only do so much. So there's a, in, I think in any industry, whether it's, you know, creative, which is what I deal with or business or whatnot, but to be the type of leader where you can allow your team to have a voice in the room, you know, it's like who who gets to be in that room? Who gets to have those decisions made? And when do you, by shutting somebody down, you could just kill the whole the whole vibe. And now, now they're never going to speak up again, you know? So feedback I, is not the same thing as shutdown. I know, but it's it's hard. It's a balance to, to, to handle that and go back and forth and to learn that skill. I think it is a skill, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you're right, Mike. Let me give you an example. Um, we got on TikTok about nine months ago. Our company did. And I've got several people around like, why are you on that? That's for the little kids. China's going to, you know, China owns it. The Congress is going to outlaw it. I'm hearing all this stuff. Speaking, and, speaking to the choir, man. It came up in our meeting. I said, well, I said, here's the deal. We're still going to be on it. We're going to keep testing metrics because we run some ads, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I said, but we may shift over more to reels on Facebook and Instagram because I can use a video component there where a lot of the view- viewers are going. And if it becomes outlaw, we aren't completely relying on one form of media. Now, our team was kind of, I think, shocked that as a 50-year-old Gen Xer that we're even on it. But I had several people last two, three years that I respect a different age group saying, why are you not on TikTok? So after kicking and screaming in March, we started to get on there. So it's being willing to say, hey, I'm willing to try some stuff and stretch and grow. Some of my team may think I'm nuts, but some of the team, I have to clearly explain why and remind them that, hey, we have other options, but right now it's still legal. There are several people in my speaking and training business that are on there that I respect. And I know that some of my clients aren't there, but we have LinkedIn as for that market. So it's sometimes holding the line when people around you think you're nuts. <laughs> and then making sure the key people that are your stakeholders know why. So you don't they don't think you're being bullheaded and not taking wise counsel either. Good stuff. I mean, it's all those are all fair points. And that's the thing is, I feel like we can't just rely on Michael. It's too much for him to be everything. And so when he can um, be better at delegating, 
they learn more, everybody wins. Yep. Case in point, the new book that we, you guys reached out about, Positive Disruption Volume 2, there's a writing credit that says, with Kelsey Sanders. Kelsey, about a year ago, when we were getting some of the initial manuscript, looked at me and said, hey, I can help with these questions. I was too close to the work. It's 365 quotes and a question, like a journal. And the questions were getting really redundant. And she started to edit the questions down because she had fresh eyes. She also has a lot of editing. And she approached me and says, hey, have you thought about maybe giving me a writing? I said, credit? Absolutely. Now, that could have maybe been the old Tony, like, oh my gosh, you know, she's encroaching on my brand and I wrote the book and she did some editing. I paid her for editing. I thought, you know what? I relinquish control because I really trust her. She knows my mindset, a lot of my philosophy and morals. She has a lot of influence on the new book. We wrote a lot of the questions. Why would I not relinquish control? That was a growth point that took me, what, six or seven books in front of it to let go of that. Right. So, Michael, it's tough. We always think, well, I could do it faster than training somebody for three hours. Well, that three hours multiplied over the next three or four years, how much free time does it open up for Michael's creative genius where you can sit down and come up with the next great brand or tagline? It's hard because we know we have a way we want to do it. And if we're going to grow and scale, we need the right people. Otherwise, we're going to stay stuck. That, that was the biggest wake-up call the last two years is I need to get better people around me and relinquish control. It's not just the Tony show anymore. What do I owe you, Tony? What do I owe you for that session? That was good. <laughs> good stuff, well, I just, I love people that are doing good work. You know, my my origin, a point of origins were in advertising and marketing. So to see, as I looked at your website before, then, you guys are growing the client work. And that's a lot of responsibility managing that many folks. Yeah. It really is. So you're almost like a therapist and a parent too. Don't tell them that, but um, <laughs> the, they're attracted to something there and you keep growing. So good work. Thanks. Mm-hmm. See, Michael, I was right. That's all. That's my whole takeaway. That's what I heard. Yeah. So, somehow she works that in every conversation. <laughs> somehow they give her one compliment and it's like, now the rest that's of the all week. I need. Yeah. That's all I need. That's it. Um, well, listen, Tony, I know we've reached our time and I cannot thank you enough uh, for your time and your insight and your feedback and your inspiration. And I hope that everybody goes out and gets your book and hires you to speak at their conference, especially in cool spots. How can they find you? Well, you're both very welcome in your audience. Thank you for listening. The easiest way to find me is go to mindcapturegroup.com mindcapturegroup.com. You go down the books, you'll find them in the new books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. So again, a pleasure. This hour went fast, which means you're both cool. And it was very, very fun. So thank you again. That's awesome. Thanks y'all. Appreciate you. Take care. Bye.